encouragement ministry for pastors and Christian workers in the state of Utah. We've known your pastor for several years and really thankful for what God's doing in him, but also thankful for what he's done in K2, what he's doing and what he's going to do. You know, it says that we've set our heart on a pilgrimage, and that's what it is when we're following Christ, amen? It's a pilgrimage. And nah, sometimes he forgets to tell us whether the, where he's taking us as if we have rights to demand these things, right? And um, our, our responsibility is to follow him. And as you guys follow him, he has really good things ahead, and we're really thankful for that. Now, you're in a series entitled, Got to Get You Into My Life. Well, I remember a song similar to that. If you remember it, you have just revealed something about your age, but... Um, uh, I think this one's talking about Jesus, right? This is this is this is church. It's not Sunday, but it's still church, and so got to get Jesus into our life. And tonight we're going to talk about getting Jesus into our relationships. And I want to be real simple, real practical, just practical. With um, if you can start that clock, that'd be good. Because if it stays at thirty minutes, we might be here at thirty-one. Anyway, I want to talk to us about. Getting Jesus into our life in three practical areas. First off is how we talk to one another. Secondly is how we pray for one another. And thirdly is how we forgive one another. Now, that one's not as easy, right? But first off in how we talk to one another. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, here's you a tall order, Right? How many of us have blown it this week with anything we've said about Biden or Trump, right? Might not have been as uplifting, right? Might not have been as edifying as it could have. This is a tall order here. And friends, the human heart desires connection. It it, it longs for connection. And that comes through conversation and just being able to relate, have relationship with one another. Solitary confinement is such a terrible form of punishment and is being outlawed in several countries because everyone desires connection with other human beings. No matter how sociopathic they might be, they still want connection, even if it's just for their liver or something. Can't believe I just said that on a Sunday. It's not Sunday, so it's okay. And yet, loneliness loneliness is what kills it. How many of us in here experience a loneliness on the inside of us that's just really difficult to relate. There's still a loneliness inside many of us, and we are in the household of faith. (laughs) And yet we still experience it. Imagine what it is for the world. Remember what it was when you were before Christ, without Christ, and the loneliness you experienced there, and how we talk to one another. What if in our daily experience we just brought Jesus into our conversations with something as simple as, okay, look, I was reading the Bible this last week. I was listening to a sermon this past week. I, I was reading a book recently, and it said, blah, fill in the blank. And then we just asked him, so what do you think of that? What if we just brought Jesus into this, our conversation just to ask him, what do you think of that? How many times do we have an opportunity at Beans and Brews or Starbucks or wherever it is you go to ask the person behind the counter just anything, anything about their life that will allow us to bring up Jesus? just to be able to say his name in front of people who might. When we go to restaurants, a lot of times I'll ask people, okay, we're going to be, we're going to be blessing our food here in a minute. Of course, we, we don't irritate them before that so they haven't spit in it so we don't have to bless their spit. Also, we're going to be blessing our food here in a minute. Is there anything we can pray for you about? 
And in all the years that I've done that, I had a brother tell me about that years ago. In all the years I've done it, I have had one person tell me no. I've had one person tell me no. Everybody else has something, has something that they want. And just to bring Jesus up, a lot of times we'll ask him, would you like to stay in here and pray with us? And when they do that, man, most of the time they walk away weeping. What could we do just in our daily conversation to be able to say, you know, I was thinking about something. I was reading something. I heard something. What do you think about that? And isn't that what Paul was talking about when he told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2? The things that you have heard me say in the company of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Do you know what that word entrust means? It's used all through the New Testament for just put it in front of them. It's when you serve food, you just put it in front of them. And you know what? When you put food in front of someone, who eats it? Who eats it? Hungry folks eat it. And you just put it out there. You just bring it up. What would happen if in our daily experience, we just did three things? Got with people, brought up Jesus, and just see what happens. You know what? You can bring up Jesus. People are going to shut you down pretty quick. Okay, I get it. I get it. We don't need to have that conversation today. I'm down with that. But what if, if we were to get with people and bring up Jesus and just see what happens, we just entrust it to them. We just place it in front of them, and somebody starts to eat off that. Now, what in the world are you talking about? Wouldn't that be a fascinating thing? Just to be able to have a conversation, just to bring up. You have heard something. You will hear something this weekend. You've heard something this week, and you're going to be getting with people next week. What would happen if we just got with those people and brought up Jesus just to see what would happen? If we could bring him into our conversation, and it's really not that difficult because all of us have golf buddies or book clubs or sewing circles or gossip clubs. Oh, this is a church. We don't have gossip in church. But all of us have groups of people. And we say, well, I don't have time for anybody else. You don't have to have anybody else. We all already have people in our lives. We could bring up Jesus with them just to see where they're at, to have someone walking with us in our relationship simply because... In our conversation, we brought Jesus into our lives and theirs. Now, a lot of you are going to say, well, I'm a parent. I got kids at the house. I don't have time for this. My response to that would be, what? As a parent, who are your first disciples? Who is your congregation? Don't ever diminish. Do not let anyone ever diminish your responsibility as a parent to to look at those kids as your congregation. They are your response. They are your disciples. And when you talk with them on a daily basis, even if it's if you don't stop it, bless Jesus, I'm going to knock you into the other rooms. Just bring up Jesus. See what happens, right? Those children are your first disciple. Be a disciple maker with them. If we bring up Jesus in our daily conversation, invite other people into your walk with him. It gives you company along the way, and it models for them what it looks like for somebody to walk with Jesus. Now, some of you are going to say, I've never done this before. That would be weird. Okay. It, it could be weird. That's okay. Everybody likes a little weird, right? We want it in manageable portions, but everybody likes a little weird. And that you've never done it before is not God's fault. Okay. So we can just take responsibility for that one. Because listen, have you ever walked up on a conversation that you'd kind of like to be a part of, 
But you can pick it up pretty quickly from the way people are turning their back on you and keep, keep moving to keep you out of the circle that they don't really want you in their circle. Have you ever been there? You ever done that? Anybody? Okay. I wonder how often Jesus feels. I wonder if he ever feels that same way when we're in a conversation and he's there. We're talking to each other. He would like to be involved, but we keep turning our back to him to keep him outside. Friends, Jesus is already there. If you have accepted Christ as your savior, you take him with you like an aroma, like a perfume that is with you no matter where you go. He wants to be involved in your conversations. He wants to be involved in your life. And so we just open up the circle and ask Jesus to step in. Amen? And bring Jesus into our conversations with other people. Get with people. Bring up Jesus and see what happens. If, they, if all you get are those three things, man, we, uh, I, I, those changed my life. We get with people, bring up Jesus, and see what happens. Secondly, first off, we talk with one another. Secondly, let's bring Jesus into our relationships with how we pray for one another. Now, doesn't that sound spiritual? Isn't that the Sunday morning thing to say, right? Saturday night, I get it. So the, the Sunday school teacher said, what is gray and bounces around and has a long, fluffy tail. Sunday school teacher and the kid in Sunday school said, well, I know the answer is Jesus, but that sounds like a squirrel. Isn't it interesting how no matter the problem, well, we just need to pray about it. We have so cheapened. We have so cliched. We have so minimized the power, the beauty of just Praying for one another. Well, you know, how, okay, how many of you have ever said, I'm going to pray for you about that? How many of you have ever said that? Okay. How many of you have ever forgotten to pray? What would be wrong? What would be wrong if instead of saying, you know, I want to get real secret and quiet, it's just me and Jesus and nobody else, and I don't have to worry about it, I'll think about praying for you then. What would be wrong if instead of that, just saying, I'm going to pray for you and we're going to do it right now? And friends, we don't have to strike a pose, you know. We don't have to look spiritual. We don't have to pray in tongues of King James. We don't have to, we don't have to wait for the coffee shop. Hey, could everybody please be quiet? Harold here, you know, he's got a real problem. We're going to pray. No, you don't even have to close your eyes. What if we just said, Jesus is here. You and I have been talking. Let us tell him about it, see what he has to say. And we just take it to Jesus right then. Friends, it doesn't have to be this super spiritual thing that we only pray about it on Sunday, Saturday night. It is any time, any day of the week. Now, there's some who are going to say, I can pray about something or I can get busy and do something about it. Okay, I get it. I think that's what Jesus was talking about. In Luke 18, when in verse 1, it says, he told them a parable. Didn't send you that one. Sorry about that. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to faint not, to not lose heart, to not grow weary, depending on the translation. They ought always to pray and to faint not. And what happens is we have so segregated our lives that we're either going to be spiritual and pray about it and make sure everybody knows we're praying about it, or we're going to be quite unspiritual and just go to work. What would happen 
If we were to combine those two like Jesus implies in this verse, so that in our praying, we continue to work, in our working, we insist on praying. What would happen then? I like what John Bailey does with that. He said, he said that Jesus does not separate the two. That it says don't faint means that we are working so hard that we are tempted to faint, pass out, lose strength while we're praying at the same time. It's not a matter of do one or the other. It's a matter of do both. How many of you ever had to rush somebody to the hospital? Watch this. You ever had to rush somebody to the hospital? Yeah, you have. And what are you doing all along the way? Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> what are you doing? You are praying while hopefully you are not fainting because you're the one driving. You're doing both. Did you know, listen to what it says. Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. How many of you believe that? Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. How many of you believe that? He sees everything. Do you believe that? Ever lost your car keys? Let's take Luke 18.1 and make it practical. There's some people who are going to say, oh, Jesus, Jesus, where are my car keys? You know what? They're not just going to magically appear, right? What would happen? If we were to take that, there's nothing hidden from his sight. Well, you're getting a little bit ridiculous there. Okay, whatever. I don't know. Found a lot of car keys. <laughs> because nothing is hidden from his sight, and so I'm going to pray, Jesus, where are my car keys? And then what am I going to do? I'm going to get busy looking for them. And trust that when I find them, he is the one who has directed me to them. And I have brought him into my life. I can look at him and say, golly gee, thanks. Because he has become an integral part of my daily experience. And we do that as we pray for one another. We lose heart, give up, faint, not while ignoring a problem and hoping it will go away, but while we address it for what it is. There are some problems that are difficult to address, but they just have to be addressed. And so in the middle of them, we're praying. God, what do you want me to say next? What would happen, as this passage implies, if in the middle of our difficulty, we were praying and walking at the same time? And friends, as we bring this into our daily life, what a difference it makes. It causes us to realize, no, Jesus really is here. You know what he said? You know what he said in James chapter five? I think this one's up there. Therefore, confess your sins yep, to each other and pray for each other. Why? Why? What does it say? So that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Oh, well, that's only for righteous people. Do you know who's righteous in this room? Do you know who the righteous are in this room? Every one of you who have accepted Jesus because you're not made righteous by your own conduct. You're made righteous because of the finished work of Jesus. He places his righteousness on you as a robe, as a cloak. It covers you completely so that when the Father looks at you, he's not seeing you and your attempts. He's seeing the clothing of righteousness that Jesus has put on you. He said, pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another and pray for each other so that you can be healed. How much more healing is there for us when we're just honest with people? 
We just open up with people. We pray for them. We ask them to pray for us. How much healing is there that that brings to us? And Paul said, this is the very first thing I want you to do. First Timothy chapter two, first of all then. He said, first of all, I urge you that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. This is the first thing he said. Now listen, there are times that I have absolutely no clue how to pray for someone. We had so many situations over the years, pastors that, and just, uh, just normal people too. Well, I urge you a terrible thing to say, but had so many people over the years come to us and say, we've got this situation going on, would you pray for us? And I don't know how to pray for them. I don't know how to pray for them. You ever been in that situation? So you know what I do? I just get in front of Jesus and say their name. Jesus, Harold, and Maud. And if you know what movie that is, we can talk later. Harold and Maud. I don't know what to say, Jesus, Harold and Maud. I just mention them to him. I just bring them from him. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say, but somehow the Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be understood when we just bring them to Jesus. Jesus, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do for them. I don't know what to advise. I don't know how to help, but God, if you don't come through, Harold and Maude are in such a mess. Friends, we can everyone do that. We don't have to strike the pose. We don't have to be act spiritual. Jesus is standing right there. Just bring him into the conversation. First off, bring him into how we talk with one another. Secondly, how we pray for one another. And then thirdly, this one is the one that none of us like to get too excited about, how we forgive one another. How many of us equate forgiveness with let them off the hook? How many of us equate forgive someone with Oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. How many of us equate forgiving someone with forgive and forget? How many of us equate forgive someone with they didn't really mean it? Friends, these are nonsense. Because forgive and forget is not forgiveness because how in the world are we to take the bad things that have happened to us that we have received mercy from Jesus from according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and give that mercy to someone else if we don't remember it? Every cell in your body is programmed to remember. It is muscle memory. I could get on a bicycle. I hadn't ridden a bicycle. I was thinking about it the other day. I could get on a slalom ski and still ski. <coughs> I would hurt the next day but I could do it, why? Because of muscle memory, it's just there. And if forgive and forget was what forgiveness was about, then we're all in the world of hurt because you still remember it, don't you? Forgiveness is not spiritual amnesia. Well, they didn't really mean it. Well, that's a bunch of nonsense because sometimes they did and sometimes they don't care. Forgiveness is not making excuses. Forgiveness is not saying, oh, it wasn't really a big deal because, friends, it's keeping you awake at night. It bothers you as you're driving to work. It, it interferes with future relationships, doesn't it? How many of you are in a relationship that you've wanted to look at them and say, how many times am I, am I going to pay for the, the sins of your former girlfriend? How many times am I going to have to pay for the sins of that person who was in your life 30 years ago? Friends, if it's still affecting us today, to say it isn't a big deal 
is sanctified lying. Forgiveness is not sanctified lying. And friends, forgiveness is not saying we should just let them off the hook. Because you are not the one holding the hook. The hook is held by the one who wrote the law. When you are the victim of a crime and the perpetrator is brought to court, you are not allowed to be the prosecuting attorney. All right? You are not allowed to sit on the jury. You are not allowed to be the judge. And you are certainly not allowed to be the jailer. (laughs) That's the one I want to be, right? (laughs) No, we're not allowed to be those. Why? Because we didn't write the law. We have to get out of the way so that those who are arbiters of the law are able to look Here's the word we don't like to hear, objectively, at our experience and determine to what degree the perpetrator is responsible for breaking the law. You didn't write the law. Whoever wrote the law is the one who holds the hook. And we want to make sure that Jesus just knows, you know, because he might have missed something, right? He could have missed something. He didn't realize how much it hurt us. He didn't realize the buttons, the triggers that we have, right? And it's not our fault after all. It really is all their fault. Friend, you're never going to get the world to quit pushing your buttons. Amen? You're never going to get people to quit pulling your triggers. The only thing you can do is get rid of your buttons. Because we can't control the whole world. Fair? Okay. Forgiveness of none is none of the things that we have talked about, but here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is getting out of the way so that the one who wrote the law can deal justly with the one who broke it. Forgiveness is getting out of the way. As much as we hate to admit it, Jesus loves the ones who offended us as much as he loves us. Jesus died for the ones who offended us just as much as he died for us. He desires their repentance and relationship just as he does, much as he does ours. And he died for and loves the youth director who molested our daughter when, he was th- when she was 13 years old just as much as he loves me. And that really gets under my skin. Because I want justice. I want to know that justice has been done. And isn't it amazing how much we want justice for those who have wronged us, but we want mercy for ourselves. Friends, I did not write the law, don't go molesting little girls. And when I try to enforce that law, I have stepped beyond my bounds. I have stepped beyond my prerogatives, my privileges, my responsibility. I have to get out of the way and release that person to the one who wrote the law, don't go messing with children. And when I get out of the way, then Jesus is able to direct everything he has toward that person, toward them. But what happens? I step in the way and it's kind of like, you know, Jesus, I know you're busy. You're still working on Pluto. I get it. I understand. Hard question, planet or not. I'll take care of this one. This one's simple, Right? And so we step in front. I got it. 
No worries. I'm going to read you the right. Ah. And listen, everything that Jesus would send to them is now hitting who in the back of the head? Friends, forgiveness is by the grace of God, and it takes grace, I'll tell you, to step out of the way and say, Father, I forgive so-and-so for fill in the blank. I have carried them too long. I give them to you. Forgive them, punish them, or let them go. They are not my problem. And friends, when we are able to let them off of our hook, when we take that backpack of making certain they get everything they deserve, and we lay that down at Jesus' feet, now we can turn around and worship him, which is the attitude we're supposed to have anyway. When David prayed in Psalm 51, 4, he said, against you and you only have I sinned. <laughs> he had, against you, and he'd been found out by Nathan the prophet, stood up and said, you are the man. And David goes and says, you and you only have I sinned. I wonder how far away Bathsheba was standing. You ever wonder about that? I wonder if she's going, I'm right here. I can hear you. Hello. I'm the widowed one. I'm the one with the scarlet letter. And David said against you and you only have I sinned? Why? Bathsheba did not write the law. God wrote the law. And when the prodigal son came home, what did he say? Father, I have sinned against heaven and I did it in your sight. There's accountability, there's responsibility, there's acceptance of responsibility. I, I sinned and I did it in your sight. But friends, what if we never get that? What if the guy who molested my wife when she was three years old and has been dead, moldering in the grave for 30, 40 years now, never says, I'm sorry? What do you do then? That's when we've got to take this thing to Jesus, baby, because listen, forgiveness is not about you and that person. Forgiveness is not between you and that person. Forgiveness is between you and Jesus, period. That is the end of the, the statement. Listen to what he said. If you forgive others their trespasses, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Friends, the, the, per, the, the perpetrator has nothing to do in this passage. This is between me and Jesus. This is between me and Jesus. If I don't forgive, it's not that I have a problem with that person. It's that God has a problem with me. Oh, this makes it a lot more personal now, doesn't it? That's why he said that we're to forgive just as the Lord has forgiven us, so you also must forgive. And this is the really hard stuff. This is the big boy stuff. We have a book that we make available on our website, streamsinthewasteland.com, on forgiveness that deals with a lot of these things. What forgiveness is not, what it is, and just how to achieve it. You know the, the person that's most difficult to forgive? You know the person who's most difficult to forgive? It's yourself. <laughs> you know, everybody else is an idiot. I should have known better, right? We find it hardest to forgive ourselves, and yet we're just another folk. We got to forgive ourselves just like we forgive others. 
And friends, this isn't about us and that person. This is about me and Jesus, and we have to get it right. And so we, we look at it and go, oh, so now you're saying I have to hang around that person again. Never said that. Never said that. Hanging around somebody is based in trust. Forgiveness is granted. Trust is earned. And when people demonstrate changed conduct in such a way that they prove themselves worthy of trust, okay, now we can trust them. But I'm sorry. The dude that molested our daughter, I'm not putting him in the nursery ministry. Don't trust him. (laughs) Not putting him around teenage girls. Not going to happen. Ever. (laughs) Do I have to forgive him? Absolutely. He, He is not my problem. I did not write the law. But do I have to trust him? Do I have to make my daughter hang around him? Yeah, let me think about that. No. And there is a difference between the two. To forgive is to entrust the enforcement of the law which has been broken to the one who wrote the law. Trust, however, is the result of proven trustworthiness. And so we look at it and go, okay, good. He gave me my out. Now I can tell that guy they're never going to earn my trust. I can hold it over their head. You hadn't done enough. You hadn't performed enough. You still hadn't earned my trust. I still got you. I got you. I got you. And then we have to be reminded of that little bitty passage when Jesus said, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Ah, nuts. You mean I have to mean it? (laughs) Well, that changes everything. Yeah, we got to do it from the heart. God, I really want to be right with you. And friends, this is not easy stuff. I'm aware of that. It's not easy stuff to bring Jesus into our conversation because we've talked about everything else for so long. We've run down the Democrats or the Republicans or the whoever it is that you want to run down. We've talked up our football team or talked about our sewing or our movie or our TV series. I was with some folks not too long ago and they were talking about a TV series, arguing about the characters in a TV series. It's like, wow, you know, that's all pretend, right? I know it's hard to bring it in to, to recognize a need for change in our conversation. I know it's hard to just be able to say, you know what, let me pray for you real quick. It, it can be weird. Weird's okay. Look at the person next to you. It's okay. And I know that forgiveness is hard. But friends, this is what it means to be made into the image of Christ. Because in his conversation, he talked about the Father. In his prayer, he brought us to the Father. And in his crucifixion, he forgave us. This is what it means to be made into the image of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. For Jesus, God, where would we be without Jesus? God, how did we make it as long as we did without Jesus? How do folks without Jesus make it? Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us in Christ, the the overwhelming love that you have for us. God, the unspeakable depths of the riches of goodness in Christ Jesus. Father, for any of those that are here, listening who have never accepted you. God, would you please, by your Holy Spirit, show them the the simple, profound power of just saying, I'm sorry. I did it. I I broke the law, and I'm really sorry about that. God, would you please forgive me? 
I want to give you my life. I'll do what you tell me to do. I confess that Jesus is Lord. You are in charge of my life. And Father, based on the confession of my lips that Jesus is Lord and the belief in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, now I can be saved. That is the outflow. God, we, we seek lordship. And Father, for those of us who are Christians in here tonight who, who struggle with each of these things and so many others, bringing Jesus into our relationships, dear God, we hadn't even started to scratch the surface on that. Father, we just want to confess we need help. We, need, we, 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 we recognize that we need your help. And we want to ask that this week, this week, it said, entrust to faithful people who will be able to teach others. This week, we will just place it in front of somebody. What you have told us this past week, tonight, we'll place it in front of someone and then challenge them, who are you going to teach this to? Who, who are you going to talk with about this so that we keep this pattern of changing lives moving downstream? God, I thank you for this body. I thank you for the good work that you are doing in and through this body. God, we ask above all things that Jesus be glorified, that he be lifted up. You said when he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. It's all about Jesus. Father, we speak a blessing over him as we leave tonight. Ask that you, you be honored, you be glorified by our speech by our prayer, by our forgiveness as we engage with one another, engage with those we're going to contact this week. God, show the world through us that Jesus matters. Jesus makes a difference. For the sake of your kingdom, amen. You guys are a blessing. Thank you for coming tonight. You're dismissed.